Blog Talk Radio. Conference. They also have an online www.campharcer.org so you can contact them by the internet. And the Dance Team, New Wave Dance, Youth and Community Development, uh, having their phone number is 646-470-388. And their email is www.newwave-cd.org. This is Nellie Johnson at CANDL uh, Radio, www.candlradio.com, 90.5 FM on the radio. Okay, Grandma? I'm here. Oh, hi, Miss. How are you? I'm doing great, Miss Nelly. How are you? I'm good. good. Have a blessing. Are you leaving? Yeah, I got some things to do. Okay. I might try to. I, I don't know if I can come back in later. If I just dial the uh, conference number, I can get back in? Yes, you can. All right. I'll be coming back in later. Have okay. a blessing. Everybody, you thanks for listening. Thank anybody that was listening that didn't want to call in. Thank you, and I thank you for Grandma for having me on. Have a blessed weekend, everybody. See you next week. Bye bye. All right. Have a nice day, Nellie. Oh, thank you, and thank you for being there too. <laughs> bye bye. Okay, this is Leslie Gist. You're listening to the Gist of Freedom. Who else is on the line? Uh, well, it's Cecilia here. Uh, we're uh, still standing by. Oh, thank you, uh, go Cecilia. ahead. Okay, this is Leslie you Listen to the Gist of Freedom. You can um, follow uh, me uh, at, on Twitter at the Gist of Freedom and on Facebook, Leslie Gist. And the stories that I'll be reading from are all posted on my Facebook page. So, um, you know, that's how you can stay abreast and keep in touch with, um, with what I'm talking about and discussing. If you have anything to add, Feel free to um, call in and answer the discussion or post something on on my um, Facebook account. So I'm in transit right now. We're doing the show mobile. Um, you can also listen to us on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com, Black History. Now, I just met Cecilia in person today, and I was truly honored and, and impressed with his knowledge, his wealth of knowledge, he's uh, soon, he will soon be graduating from Fordham University, and he was explaining to me the tragedy um, that we are witnessing over the television and Internet, social media, and these plants. 
I don't know much about world history, but because of all of these tragic events, I'm now um, finding myself having this desire to understand why all these tragic murders are occurring all over the globe. And I'm I'm interested because I want to help make this world a better place for all the children that will come after us. Um, you know, it's a bad time for our generation if we can't fix this. It says a lot about who we are as a human race. So um, I'm going to allow Cecilio, I, I know he's been on the air for some time, to talk about Nice if he chooses to do so, if he chooses to do so. So I'm going to start off. Will you do that for me, Cecilio? If you give me 15 minutes, would you come in and talk about Nice? Yeah. Yeah, I'm oh. here. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to stay with, um, I'm going to keep my, stay in my lane and continue to talk about black history and what's going on in the United States with African Americans. And you'll be my new correspondent as far as worldwide events until I catch up and you finish educating me. So I missed the show Saturday, and I missed it because I was so distraught over watching two African-American and unarmed men uh, be murdered or die, not murdered, after after watching two unarmed black men die uh, on camera. And it was horrific. It was um, extremely sad to see it. Um, you know, so it's re- it was really hard. It's still very hard to recover. Um, Sandra Bland was pretty bad. Trayvon was uh, awful. Um, these two young people, you know, just being, seems like they were assassinated. It's just something that we'll never forget. And I, I try to equate it to something like um, what happened with the Emmett Till case where everyone got to witness his body in an open casket. And unfortunately, we're experiencing these open caskets type of moments over and over again. And it seems like they're getting worse and worse and more frequent. So there's been marches all over the country, all over the world. One of my um, popular tweets, I have a collage of different protesters from Asia, Puerto Rico, Berlin, all holding up signs saying they're, um, that they're, that black lives matter and they're showing solidarity with us all over the world. So that's one of my most popular tweets uh, this week. But what I'm happy to announce that not only are people marching, but they're marching their way to the black banks. I, I attended a meeting this morning, and, you know, that was a discussion that everyone should put $100 into an account at a black bank, um, I asked if the churches would be the lead, would take the lead in this movement. You know, will, will they make a public announcement or are they making public announcements in their churches? Are they moving their money to these black establishments? Not all of it, but some of it. Um, from my history, from my research, the black church historically has been the leader, has always been at the forefront to all these movements. And I just, I'm very disappointed 
that we're not seeing the black church participate in the way um, that Martin Luther King participated. You know, we're not seeing this. And I like to read part of his speech from 1964. And I have a picture on Facebook of black people in Montgomery, Alabama, walking in their work clothes. Some of them are in uniforms, different uniforms. Some of them are formally dressed. And you can see that they're all carrying lunch bags, and they're all making a beeline to work. And they chose to work, I mean walk to work, or carpool to work, instead of drive, riding on a bus and paying a bus company who did not show them dig- dignity. And I'm going to read it at this point. I hit the wrong button. Um, so thousands walked every day for one year, for a year, instead of riding the buses in the 1965 boycott. Now, we protest for maybe a week, two weeks. But can we protest for a year? That says a lot about the people of which we come from. It took 40,000 black people walking to work for 381 days in Montgomery bus boycott to make history in the Montgomery bus boycott. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech at Bennett College in 1958. This is what he said. Finance your freedom. I'm sorry, I added that part in. Finance your freedom, people. We don't have time, he says, to spend a lot of money on whiskey and big parties and a lot of stuff. And we aren't giving money to the basic causes that confront us now. It would be an indictment on the Negro if it is revealed that we spend more money on pluralities, help me pronounce that, then we spend on the cause of freedom and justice. And I've been in situations. I've seen us in many of our social groups, our fraternities, and our Masonic, and our Elks, and what have you, spending more money on civilities than we spend on the cause of freedom and justice. I remember one year that a certain fraternity assembled with another fraternity, and they spent, in one week, one week they spent $500,000 on whiskey alone. And we're talking about the 60s, right? I want everybody to put this in the perfect context. In the 60s, $500,000 in whiskey, all right? That's what the paper reported, he says. Negroes spend more money in one week just a handful of Negroes in one week than the whole Negro race spent that whole year for the NAACP and the United Negro College Fund. Now, that's tragic. That's tragic, my friends. We've got to get a sense of values. Now, you don't like some of these things I'm saying? You're not saying that amen too much. Right. Through in here. But I'm saying things that I think are basic for us. Things that are basic. Not only that, we must continue to develop wise, courageous, and sincere leadership like Cielo and Zion and Roy Paul. This is a need all over the South, and today it's a need all over the world, all over our nation. 
we need leaders like Dello. How, how you pronounce your name? Cecilia. Cecilia, yeah. Like, Cecilia, we need leaders like you. This is what Martha King would say if he was alive. Leaders of integrity. Leaders who are intelligent. Leaders who avoid the extremes of hot-headedness and Uncle Tomness. Leaders who somehow have the vision to see the issues and have the courage, the courage to stand there. Leaders not in love with money, but in love with humanity. Oh, this is the great need of our hour and this hour. As I look out over our nation, God has given many of you talent. God has given many of you economic resources, and he's given you educational resources. And this is the challenge and an opportunity of the hour, to use these things to furnish leadership for our nation, for our world. In this hour, this is what we need. Let none of us become so high on the intellectual, on the economic ladder, or any of these particular ladders that we become separated from the problems that the masses of the people are confronted with. Let us discover that we will never get into the promised land until all of us get there together. We kill each other too much. We have to face that. We have to face that. Our crime rates are still too high. We've got to face that. We don't have to have a PhD or an MA degree or an AB degree. We don't have to have a money and have morals or to live upright. And let us start now. And let's sit down by the wayside and pull down the curtains of our lives in the shades and look at ourselves and say, can we improve ourselves here? And we got to improve. We must face the fact that there are so many areas and there are so many things that we can do. So I'm not going to read the entire speech. But again, that was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in a speech that he gave at Bennett College. And it resonates with what we're going on, what's going on today with the economic bank protest. And see, Malcolm X said, you must speak to them in a language that they understand. And we know that the language that our, our oppressors understand is money. Not meaning that we should love money, but we know that they love money. So we extract it, we take money away from them, then they'll listen, they'll come to the table. That's exactly what happened in the Montgomery boycott. When when they marched away from that bus, when they marched away from that bus and carpooled and walked to work, all of a sudden the town said, okay, you can sit wherever you want to sit. We will, we will treat you with humanity. But that's not really the type of victory we're looking for today. Not. We want the victory that we had prior to segregation, which was we owned our own bus companies. Um, and we owned our own businesses. Before I looked up some of the bus companies that we owned, and we were the first ones to start um, bus companies, we built buses and so forth, for ourselves. 
and sold them all over the world, uh, at least the country. So excuse me if I embellish a little bit, but I love black people. Sometimes I'll grill embellish. It's just a, a great habit I have. And it happens because I see so many negative stories about our people that are so untrue. Take me to Oakland. Um, I have to, you know, promote and push our people at every opportunity that I'm given. So with that said, what about these banks? Today we have a list of banks. And since this, these two unarmed black men were murdered, Castillo and Sterling, um, banks, black banks all over the nation have been reporting spikes in, account, in how many accounts have opened up. A few days I posted a story um, reported by Fox 26, Channel 26 in Houston, Texas. And an owner and CEO and president of the bank called Unity National Bank in Houston said that he had over 300 new clients open up accounts um, in less than 72 hours. And on my page, I offer a list of close to 30 black banks that you can go to and and bank online with them if there's a bank if the bank is not close to you you don't have to worry banking online is something that's just the norm now and if you're a little leery about putting too much money in the bank start with a christmas account or um, a ramadan account or whatever faith that you practice um but just to name a few of these banks all america bank in birmingham alabama Broadway Federal Bank in uh, Los Angeles, California, Capital City Bank and Trust Company in Atlanta, Georgia, Carver State Bank in Georgia. Georgia has a lot of them. Citizens Trust Bank, Georgia, City NBA of New Jersey in Newark, Commonwealth National Bank in Alabama, Mobile, Alabama, Covenant Bank in Chicago, Illinois, First Independence Bank in Detroit, Michigan First State Bank in Danville, Virginia, First Tuskegee Bank uh, in Tuskegee, Alabama, Highland Community Bank in Chicago, Illinois, Illinois Service Federal Service and Loan in Chicago, Industrial Bank in Washington, D.C., Liberty Bank and Trust Company in New Orleans, Mechanics and Farmers Bank in Northern North Carolina, North Milwaukee State Bank in Milwaukee, One United Bank in Boston, Massachusetts, Seaway Bank and Trust in Chicago, Illinois, United Bank of Philadelphia in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Unity uh, Bank of Houston in Houston, Texas, and so forth. So there is a positive change, and these young men who have been murdered, unarmed black men who have died at the hands of police gunfire, their lives are not in vain. Um, we need to um, stay diligent when it comes to these banks. So let's go back in history a while and, and talk about some banks of the past. Banker Jesse Binga, B-I-N-G-A, he owned a bank called the Jesse Binga Bank. Um, he was born. He was born one of ten children in 1865. 
and his father was a barber, and his mother, Dipia Powers, Binger, was a successful entrepreneur. Mrs. Binger was her son's inspiration throughout his life. Um, as a housing developer, she um, also, okay, as a housing developer, she built the Binger Row Houses in Detroit. She also operated a food shipment business, the first Great Lakes food company, and she caught whitefish, uh, and it tasted delicious. I have many typos here, so I'm pretty embarrassed. Jesse Binger took over a cell bank at State and 36th Street and reopened it as Binger Bank in Chicago. So, again, these stories, you can read them in, in, uh, at full length on the Gist of Freedom's page, um, Leslie Gist, L-E-S-L-E-Y-G-I-S-T. I also have a popular post um, of a child at a museum, and the museum has statues of enslaved people chained up, uh, sitting down, mm-hmm. in distress. And the picture has, she has to be close to three or four years old, a little African-American girl hugging one of the statues. And the mother explains to the little girl, how her ancestors were enslaved, and a little girl responded by hugging the statues, and she said to them, everything is going to be okay. Now, I shared that that um, post because when Castile, the young man who was murdered or who died at the hands of police gunfire, when he was um, shot, he was shot while being a passenger in his girlfriend's car. And the back seat was a four-year-old little girl. And the little girl remained in the car and witnessed everything. And in a short time thereafter, a policeman, the policeman told her mother to get out the car. And they proceeded to handcuff her, and they put her in the, in the back seat. And her four-year-old daughter's response was, you know, Mommy, don't cry. I'm here with you. And it was very sad that a four-year-old would have to witness this and to have all these police officers throw her into the back seat. And her mother, for what? What did they do to deserve to be treated? And to the extent that her little girl had to comfort her when she broke down. So I chose that picture because it it, it reminded me of the incident of the four-year-old. And I don't know how this situation is going to affect the little girl who witnessed the shooting and had to comfort her mother. So, you know, we all have to pray for um, our our people who are going through these traumatic experiences. And I know from an interview that I had done with um with the brother of the four little girls that were murdered 
and the 16th Street Church Bombing. And there's a film um, titled Four Little Girls that uh, Spike Lee put together. Well, I interviewed one of the brothers, and he's he has to be in his 70s, 80s. And um, he went on to describe that fateful day. And he said he heard the bomb, he felt the bomb while he and his little friends, he was about 10 years old, they were all playing riding their bikes. And he felt the bomb. And he and his little friends rode their bikes to find out what was going on. And when they arrived at the church, the church was all blown up and there were bricks all over the place and bodies. And they were, everybody was pulling up bricks, throwing bricks all over the place trying to rescue the people who were buried under the bricks. And he said he and his friends were just throwing bricks, you know, they saw um, when they started throwing these bricks, a decapitated head appeared. And it scared the living mice out of them. And they and their friends took off running, jumped back on their bikes, and left. And he said within minutes, one of his friends came running to him and said to him, The head that you saw was head. And this man, who's recalling this story, broke down uncontrollably on my radio show. So, even though we may not feel the trauma and we think we're over it, even as just witnesses watching these videos, there's something happening to us that we need to be healed ourselves. And for those who are not feeling our pain, they too need a healing, a spiritual healing. So there's, there is a lot going on, and we think, you know, we need reparations for financial reasons. But we are under assault. And what we're seeing is something that should only be seen on in the theater of war, on a combat field. As civilians, we shouldn't be witnessing this, especially four-year-olds. So, as a way to release um, and channel all of this negative energy, all this fear, we need to unite as a people in love. And we find that in the past, the church was the place that um, black people gathered to really um, channel their energy and to show and embrace each other. Now, the church, you know, historically, in, you know, since I've been grown and throughout my childhood, we learned that, you know, Martha King was a leader of the church and he represent what the black church has done historically. But I wanted to take note that he is not the face of the black church. Prior to him, there was a gentleman called Vernon Johns who he replaced because Vernon Johns protested. He uh, also had boycotts, but he was more, much more confrontational. Um, you know, and he was not just confrontational with the whites and the KKK, but he was also very confrontational with his congregation 
and he called them. Um, he he hated. He didn't like their passivity. He felt that they were too uppity, and that they didn't do enough for um, their fellow uh, neighbors who were less fortunate and who were really being subjected. So, if you want to learn more about the creature who Martha King replaced, the fiery creature, his name is Bernie John, and he came out of a school called Oberlin University. Oberlin is out of Ohio. And when John Brown went on to commit his raid, he went to Ohio, that area, to recruit the blacks um, that went with him. The six blacks, many of them came from Oberlin because they were known to be anti-slavery men. They were part of something called the Vigilance Committee. It was something, I say, a mixture of, a hybrid of the NAACP and the Black Panthers. You know, they chose the legal system first, and then they also chose to use guns to protect themselves. And on my Twitter account, the Gist of Freedom, at the Gist of Freedom, or at Gist of Freedom, I posted um, an image from a movie called The Deacons for Defense and Justice. It's a movie. And I recommend that you teach your children about our history from our perspective. Twelve Years a Slave is great. The Butler is great. All these other stories, but we also need to have a balanced history to show our children that we operated on all cylinders to get to where we are. And in order to Welcome. maintain, um, okay, I think I lost you. In order to maintain this movement, can you hear me? Yes. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay, good. In order to maintain this movement, we we still have to embrace all phases of resistance, and that includes nonviolence. Some may be more um, confrontational, but we need them all. So the Deacons of Defense, let me just read a little bit. It's a movie. It's a, a justice, you know, grassroots self-defense force that protected activists against the KKK. So let's be mindful of the films that we have out here that are not getting any um, kind of um, publicity. We need to support them even if they don't get mainstream publicity. Another banker from the past is Madam Maggie L. Walker, not Madam C.J. Walker, but Maggie L. Walker. She is the founder of the St. Luke Penny Savings Bank, the first woman in the history of the United States to open a bank and become the president ever. All right? Um, She said in one of her speeches, let us put our money together. Let us use our money. Let us put our money together out at usury among ourselves and reap the benefits of ourselves. All right, so if our people could do these great things facing all of the obstacles that they face, lynchings, poverty, sharecropping issues, of course, racial issues and tensions, then we know that we have the fortitude we have the proof 
that we too can do it and we can succeed. So I share these posts every day as a reminder to all of us of who we are and how far we've come and how they did it. Not just that to say, this is what we did, because I take the time to put a lot of work into my research so that we can all follow their footsteps. Now, uh, mm-hmm. any questions, comments? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would, uh, or does someone want to go first, or? You go. Okay. So, um, it, one of the things that, you know, I sorts of, well, one of the things that comes to mind for me mm-hmm. is that uh, the, the black church has come a long ways since the 60s in terms of um, the role of, of black preachers, if you will, uh, in the community. Uh, because uh, while we see on a much smaller scale, uh, uh, what, what I'd say, uh, a sort of activism uh, at the pulpit that we used to see, uh, we see it on a much smaller scale. We see, uh, you know, voter registration drive or voter registration drives and get out the vote drives. We see this sort of form of of of, uh, of engagement today. Uh, but uh, the cooperation and coordination uh, of the civil rights movement was very much, uh, well, I should say, the black church was very much instrumental in the cooperation and coordination of the civil rights movement. Correct. Uh, that it was the whole, but a significant part. Uh, and and so when we talk about uh, the relationship between uh, the uh, civic participation, civic engagement today uh, among uh, people, among African Americans uh, versus during the civil rights movement, uh, the movement of peoples out of the pews and into the streets uh, uh, is 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 something that um, we've gone far away from, uh, and there's a lot that goes into that. Um, the, a, a fundamental change in the role of ministers in the community over the course of 50 years, uh, uh, but also less people in the pews. Uh, those two things are the are the, are the biggest, I'd say, um, shift away from 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 what we saw in the '60s. Um, uh, far more so now, the minister is more concerned with the saving of souls uh, for the next life than the, for this life, as it's been put to me in the past. Okay. Uh, and that, that that was the difference. That that uh, that today again the the role of ministers is the idea is saving a soul. Uh, okay. Uh, and, and 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 we've shifted away from uh, and we, well we've shifted towards this from more of an activist role uh, of of again organizing from the few um, uh, uh, be, be, being an activist from the few. Uh, to what it has become, and, and so when we think to ourselves uh, in terms of the ways in which uh, the black community organizes today uh, versus how it has organized in the past, we mm-hmm. have to look at these monumental 
transformations of the black community with respect to, again, numbers in the pews. And, well, uh, let me just let me just interrupt you for a second. When we talk yeah, about the history of the black church, and I and I didn't intend on making this segue. It just it happened naturally. The church yeah. where the little the four little girls were bombed was the meeting place. Say that again. The church where the little four little girls were bombed in Montgomery. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the heart of the boycott and the marches. Right. Martin Luther King had organized a children's march. Right, right. right. And the children started coming from all, all over the city out of all the different schools, and they joined these marches without permission from their parents. And they found themselves locked up. And being a racist institution that Montgomery was, um, they held the children for ransom. Now, back in the day, it's illegal to place a bell on a child, but they broke the law, and they held these kids for ransom, and they told Martha King that you weren't going to get your children until you paid up. So he went to Governor Rockefeller, and he was able to get a check cut to free these little kids. So in retaliation for that march and the success of that march, they bombed the church. Mm-hmm. So when right. we talk about um, why aren't the churches involved, it's because they know that the current leaders know, the current ministers know the history. They have to be extremely courageous to say in the face of all the politicians, to say in the face of all the policemen, that these are the people I identify with, and this is, I'm going to organize my people, I'm going to organize my sheep. So instead of doing these things, they have shifted their their um, goals and objections to prosperity. To right. say, so, you, yeah. you're poor, and we know how to get you rich quick. And, you know, yeah. join the church, and we will help you pay your bills. And in essence, right. they so, can because they, they do make alliances with government officials who will give the congregation government jobs. So go ahead. Right. So, so what we see is well, that's that's sort of what I'm talking more broadly than than than. Although this is this this is a perfect pretext for exactly what I'm talking about. This incident uh, mm-hmm. with these young girls, the four young girls who were killed in this bombing, uh, mm-hmm. the church being at the heart of of, of black activism, uh, one of one of several different uh, uh, hearts of black activism in the '60s. Um, we what we uh, don't see today, right? Is is the the the, the politics sort of has left the uh, politics has been sent out of the door, and 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 it is no longer. Uh, no, by no some you're wrong. You're wrong. You you have the the means to to, to check this to do a fact check. I'm pretty sure there's more black preachers who are doubling up as politicians than ever in history, especially black. Say that again. Say that again. There are more ministers who are also politicians today than ever before. And because they are ministers and politicians and preachers, 
their hands are tied. For instance, some years ago in New Jersey, we had Governor Christine Whitman run for for governor, and we had another um, I think Florio who had been the governor, and it was like an apparent shoe in for him. But she came out of nowhere as a Republican, and she won. And at one of her parties, her one of her um, underlings, I don't want to say the wrong title, but one of her campaign people got a little bit too yeah. tipsy, and he revealed his secret of how he said they won this election. And he said publicly that he paid the ministers off to keep the the – the congregations to keep their congregations out of the polls and not to not to pump up or to hype them up about voting. So when we hear about the ministers and the, the preachers and their involvement with politics, they are involved with politics at a great extent, um, more so than ever in history. Um, and when we look back in recent history. One of the, the, the main people that was shot, uh, the eight people that were shot in church at the Emanuel Church in South Carolina, that historical church that was founded by Denmark Vesey, was, mm-hmm. uh, was a politician and a preacher. Mm-hmm. And he was a preacher yeah. who was extremely vocal, and he had bills on the table as far as body cameras on police, and some believe that he was assassinated. So today, if you want to be an activist slash politician like Matt Turner, like Denmark Bessie, like um, so many other uh, black ministers from the 1800s all the way to the present, you take a great risk of being murdered, unfortunately. Uh, And that's going to segue me into um, a family trip that I, I went down to Philadelphia to see a statue being unveiled of the founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, 200 years, bicentennial anniversary. This church was founded in the 1700s. It started out as a benevolent society. Um, the history of benevolent societies, I'm going to let you jump in, is, is when we formed with one foot still shackled, we had a real thought to put our money together, our pennies together, to make sure that no one amongst us went into poverty. And we did this, and from this organization called the Free African Society, or the African Free Society, I don't, can't remember which way, but from this benevolent society came on the birth of two churches, and one of them is the AME, and you need to go to Philadelphia and see the, uh, see the statue to learn more about the history of the African-American church and what ministers did from the 1700s to get us to move us forward out of bondage, not just in Philadelphia, but throughout the nation. So go ahead, uh, please continue. So, yeah. Um, well, sort of what I'm t- when I mentioned the separation between the uh, the – uh, well, how should I? One second. Sorry, there's an interruption in the background. When I mentioned the uh, separation between uh, the essentially, um, well, more specifically, sorry, uh, when I say 
politics leaving the pews, politics uh, mm-hmm. mo- leaving the pupils. Uh, we do have, um, uh, and actually the, uh, j- the gentleman who was killed in the Sh- Charleston shooting, the minister was both a reverend and a state senator. You do have uh, uh, religious leaders also taking up uh, political positions, but largely, and certainly in my personal experience, you will find that ministers more often than not today will say in regards to um, activism of this, and certainly activism, activism of the sort we were seeing in the 60s, uh, oh, that's not what we do, right? That's not who we are. Uh, speaking for themselves, excuse me, speaking for uh, themselves, speaking for uh, their uh, uh, sort of their their theology, their thinking. Um, the, the prevalence of black liberation theology, for instance, um, in my experience at least, uh, uh, and certainly, um, and the name just left me, uh, the name of the reverend, and I actually met him at the Betty Shabbat Center in Harlem uh, this past year. Uh, it's going to come back to me in a second. Uh, James Kuhn. Uh, has uh, has said uh, that we've seen a sort of a, a shift away from Black liberation theology uh, at the pews. That um, essentially the church is a shadow of itself when it comes to the domain of political activism uh, relative to what it was in the 60s. And, and um, so when we talk about uh, the ability, uh, and this is simply what I was trying to say, although now, now I've got the thought together. When we talk about the ability of, uh, of, of, of blacks to organize and to assemble uh, in defense of their rights, um, the mechanism through which uh, they uh, come together uh, is no longer the same in many cases as it was in the 60s, and those who are instrumental and organizing today um, are no longer uh, at the same cost as those who have been in the past. Often times nowadays we'll see uh, that the person leading the charge is either a young civil rights lawyer or a, um, um, a, a individual who has become uh, so displeased with what is happening to his community that he says enough is enough, and he commits himself to, to making that sort of a change. But uh, again, uh, the, the sort of cooperation between ministers uh, and political activism, certainly of the sort at the, uh, at the level that we were seeing it in the 60s, um, is all but there in the 21st century. Um, right, right. I get your point, and that's a point well taken. And I appreciate I appreciate um, hearing. Um, I, before we wrap it up, I also shared a story I thought was very interesting. The night that Philando Castell was uh, shot and he died, a march uh, uh, took place. Three o'clock in the morning. At three a.m., a crowd marched to the governor's mansion in St. Paul at 3 a.m., and they told him 
no no justice, no sleep. No justice, no sleep. And they went out a little further, and they um, took the tape. This is what is reported. The yellow tape that was used to um, that was used around Orlando's body. That yellow police tape, and they used that tape to chain him up to lock his gate up. So there's a picture of his mansion's gate covered up with this yellow police tape. So that was just a frustration that these marchers uh, was able to relinquish at the behest of this um, this governor's mansion. So, you know, you have all sorts of reactions um, and we, we're hoping that this reaction, these reactions, this pain, um, this anger is going to be channeled in a positive way, in a productive way. And I think the banking protest, the economic protest, is one that should work. It worked with Ida B. Wells. She went all over the world and she told other countries not to to purchase and to um, support any businesses from the United States. Frederick Douglass did it during the slave um, era. They had something called a free labor market where no one purchased goods that were being produced by slave labor. So this, these boycotts have been working for centuries. And I hope that this one is just as successful as Ida B. Wells, as Frederick Douglass, and the ones from the past. Any questions or any comments you'd like to add? Yeah, I'd like to say, uh, Leslie, this is Donald Brown. I've been Hi, listening Donald. to your, your um, informative um, show. And one of the things that I picked up, which you talked about uh, Maggie Walker, she's been the first African-American female to establish Not a African-American, bank. African-American, a first woman, period, in any race. Okay, first female to establish a bank. Right. And... Um, uh, and I believe it was in Richmond, Virginia, where she was from. I re- recall doing some studying on her. That's where I grew up. And she, there's schools named after her. There's buildings. There's all kinds of uh, um, landmarks. Uh, wow. uh, there's, uh, there's a name after her in Richmond, Virginia. And the quote that you shared with us, that she talked about take the money among ourselves and spend it among ourselves. I think that is really the solution to part of the solution to our struggle as a people. And the whole Target, the the, the, the the boycott against Target, I don't know if you got one of those emails or if it was shared on the show. Right. But clearly that that is a step in the right direction. Right. And uh, just to demonstrate our strength as a people, is people would follow that model. And as you said, it's not the first, it's been a whole historical lineage of those types of boycotts. But I believe that that's the strongest statement we can make when we learn, as I call it, teach our dollars to have more sense. Right. Right. And, and, and it's a reality that, like, like uh, Malcolm said, that you have to speak to them in a language that they understand. And clearly, many of them come here and they say they come to this country for the American dream, meaning to get money, to become rich. And if you take a piece of that American dream or a piece of their pie, a slice of their apple pie, they may learn compassion and they may learn how to be humans. Because, you know, we've been told that we are supposed to train these police officers officers how to be sensitive, 
how to be humans and to see us as human beings. I said we need to train our youth and ourselves to renew our minds and say we don't want them policing our neighborhoods. It is a police state. And I watched Obama's um, uh, town hall, and i got to say I'm extremely disappointed with the way President Obama is handling this police brutality and, and these unarmed uh, murders because he knows the answers. The answers and the solutions are you have to defund the, the, the bad police departments. You don't reward them with more grant money for cameras or anything else. If you can uh, have the federal government and the state government take over bad schools and other bad entities, you surely can take away the money um, and the power from police departments who are committing these terrible acts who are being sued endlessly. Um, for instance, the, the cop that was involved in Mike Brown's shooting, he came from a disbanded uh, police force because it was disbanded because they were being sued too many times and they couldn't afford to pay all the lawsuits so the, the councilman elected to disband the police department. And that's how this murderer found his way, this guy who shot Mike Brown, found his way to Ferguson. So if you can disband these police departments, if you can say to them that you have, you can't keep forcing police officers to meet quotas, to arrest the citizens for minor offenses because the police chiefs and the government is telling them that in order for you to keep your job, you have to resort to stop and frisk. So by having these quotas, you are, uh, um, by default, creating a hostile environment and, and causing a powder cake. So how are you going to say you want the, the cops in the black community, the white cops in the black community who are forced to, to find you and arrest you for minor offenses to be friends? You know, so that's, that's one of the um, things. And Barack is a... A Ivy Leaguer. He chose to live in the heart of the ghetto. He knows firsthand what the solutions are. So I'm giving him a pass in one way because I know that, as he alluded to in that town hall meeting, that he too has ha, he has to worry about his own safety because the police, meaning the Secret Service, is not just watching him 24/7, but they're watching his children and his wife. So he can't be too vocal knowing that he's susceptible to any kind of harm with that entity in his presence 24-7. Anyone have anything to say about that? Well, I think if Barack really wanted to do something, as you said, he could squeeze them through the Justice Department and have the Justice Department to withdraw the funds because that's where it comes through their budget. Correct. Police department that uh, have a history of killing black men and there's no consequences. Correct. Uh, and black women, I should say, add to that because right. I didn't realize the list of black women is up to 25 this year killed by police. Oh, black women. Yeah. Right. Oh, I have those numbers too. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you want me to quickly uh, cover the uh, Nice incident or? Yes, I think we're yeah. done with, with um, all the violence with black men being killed yeah. this week. Yes, please cover the niece and, and talk yeah. about the multiculturalism as you did when we were in person. 
Oh, okay. Okay, I can talk. Uh, just briefly to talk specifically about the evening of the of July 14th uh, uh, of this year. Uh, now only less than 48 hours ago, um, Mohamed uh, Boulel, uh, a Tunisian resident of France, committed an assault uh, in Nice, uh, France. And many may know Nice. Nice happens to be the fifth largest city in France. It also happens to be considered the gateway to the Principality of Monaco. Uh, Nice's international airport is uh, the primary transportation route that connects Monaco to the rest of the world. And again, Nice itself is also uh, just happens to be the fifth largest uh, city in France, a Mediterranean city on the southern coast of France. Uh, and Nice is pretty is very much a a a world city, a, a major tourist city, a major vacation spot, and especially around this type time of year, celebrating Bastille Day, uh, Nice would have a lot of foreign tourists uh, in the area, along with the French, celebrating what is for Americans the equivalent of a Fourth of July, Bastille Day. The, uh, the 14th of July. And on this day, unfortunately, uh, 84 people were killed and hundreds more injured in a violent episode of terror that has shaked the country. Uh, now, President Francois Hollande um, is extending the national emergency for, I believe, another uh, 60 days, if I'm not mistaken. The national emergency works in the sense that Certain constitutional protections are suspended for the to, into in order to properly ensure national security. But this is a man, a considered a very disturbed man, uh, a loner, a drifter, uh, a minor criminal, uh, a pickpocket, if you will. Uh, his family had left him. His wife had recently left him. He has several young children who had left, uh, and so he was living by himself uh, and. Uh, what it appears to be, we can't confirm this right now, uh, internal security forces, the interior ministry can't confirm this currently, presently, but what we can uh, at best assume is that whatever he, whatever problems he may have been undergoing, uh, although he might not have been directly associated with ISIS uh, or other terrorist outlets, he was certainly inspired by them to commit this attack. Uh, and it is certainly considered a, an act of terror, both by uh, President Francois Hollande, as well as uh, the American President Barack Obama, uh, and as well uh, various other NATO allies, including Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel, has speak, spoken out against the attacks. And just for a little bit of background, um, Tunisia is his place of origin. Tunisia happens to be uh, a, a former protectorate of France. Uh, Tunisia is a uh, country located in the uh, northern region of Africa. It is uh, also on the Mediterranean uh, within kilometers of the French coastline. Uh, now, despite being a, a former protectorate of France, Tunisia uh, has a very close relation with France as well as Italy. Uh, it has um, 
uh, forge a very strong diplomatic relationship with the French Republic and as well as Italy and has strong economic ties. Much of the economic development that has occurred in recent decades in Tunisia uh, has been dependent on support from and the cooperation with the French and Italian governments. Uh, and so, however, Tunisia has, since the Arab Spring, become a bedrock for uh, uh, radicalization. Um, it, it, despite having um, survived uh, the, uh, the sort of political instability felt by its neighbors to the East, Libya and Egypt, with both which both experienced uh, government overthrows. Uh, Libya is now considered a failed state uh, with a very weak central government uh, bordering on anarchy, and Egypt has become a military uh, dictatorship under the control of uh, uh, General um, Al Sisi. Uh, who has replaced uh, the former dictator Mubarak. Uh, and so what we are seeing is uh, that despite having avoided this sort of political instability, Tunisia still happens to be a, uh, suffer from a serious problem of, 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 of radicalization uh, towards this, uh, what we talked about in person, uh, dangerous, very poisonous, Wahhabist ideology uh, which seeks to uh, attack uh, and, and bring destruction to the West. Um, and just again to wrap up, because I know I've uh, talked about this uh, a bit extensively now, um, this uh, sort of violence, uh, much of the world, the international community agrees, can really only come to an end uh, with uh, the establishment of regional security in the region with the cooperation of Saudi Arabia, uh, with the cooperation of and, and, its, and its partners in the region, Jordan being another major center of relative stability, uh, as well as Turkey, uh, in terms of establishing some sense of regional stability, bringing uh, Iraq and Syria out of the tremendous uh, fragility and instability that it is currently undergoing, this is what is necessary in order to curb the radicalization uh, and, and further uh, regional security matters that the, that the region now faces. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it there, um, and, and, and I hope I've uh, been able to answer some questions. You sure have, and it's up to us to do the research. Anything you have to say, Donald, because we went five minutes into your show. Donald? Okay. Well, I'm going to wrap this up again. I'm Leslie Gist from the Gist for Freedom. You can visit our website at www.thegistgistfreedom.com. You can uh, like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter, Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y-G-I-S-T, and on Twitter, Gist of Freedom. And, Cielo, can you give us a your name and a... Station identification? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, from TNL Radio in New York, I'm Cecilia Ben. Uh, you are listening. You are now listening to uh, the Donald Brown Hour, uh, and uh, we will be having on Donald Brown shortly. I believe he might have just uh, left the conference very briefly, but stay tuned for uh, 
Donald Brown's Journal uh, from 4 to 5 p.m. on this Saturday. Uh, it is July 16th, uh, 2016, and we are here at TNL Radio again in uh, East New York, Brooklyn. Um, and uh, Donald Brown, are you there? Can you hear me? <laughs> 